0: Hey there, are you sick and tired of feeling sick and tired? Join Adol Kazilski and Feige Stern as they explore ways to reverse chronic illness and achieve vibrant health. Your health is your only wealth and together we can be better. Hashtag Healthy You, Wealthy You.
1: And it's a very good morning from a wet and miserable Johannesburg. I think Cape Town has sent us the lousy weather. Thanks. Cape um, so uh, it's wonderful just to be in the house and listening to the pitter-patter rain outside as long as we don't go out. Good morning, Faggy. How's the weather on your side of town?
2: Good morning, Adel. I think it's very similar to your side of town. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, I live in the same place as you, and it's not that far, but it really it does look beautiful outside. Yes, we do need the rain, and I think maybe the rain will also take away, I think, all the allergies and, uh, you know, snotty noses that everybody has seemed to have uh, gotten the last week from the change of season. So hopefully it will uh, bring down the spark
2: count and definitely looking forward to Richard explaining how to increase oxytocin levels so that we don't mind if it rains or not <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: absolutely uh, we
1: are uh, very very excited today to have an expert and an advisor on, um, on, on stress and it is in fact Richard Sutton and we are going to be talking to him after the break
0: Catch the Healthy You, Wealthy You Show with Adol Kazilski and Feige Stern every Wednesdays at 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. only on 101.9... Hi FM. Well, just in case, there's Adel Kozlowski and
1: Peggy Stern in case you didn't get the message. We're going to be speaking to Richard Sutton. Richard Sutton is an advisor on stress management and adaptability to industry leaders, top athletes and Olympic teams. He is widely regarded as an expert in the field of genetics and their role in resilience and human performance. Richard has been a postgraduate lecturer in the areas of performance, health and athlete development for almost two decades now at leading universities. He is the author of the bestseller, The Stress Code, A Surviving to Thriving Guide to Stress. And recently, if you go now to exclusive books, you can see his new book, Stress Proof, The Game Plan. So it's much pleasure, Richard. Thank you for joining us this morning.
3: Thanks so much for having me.
1: We're really, really excited because I think that one of I, I I know for myself and I think about it a lot that one of the most important qualities I think that a person um, must develop is that of resilience we 're living in such traumatic turbulent times you know we never know what 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 uh, what 's going to come our way at any moment. Things are going at such a fast speed, and I think that we're all being asked now the question of. You know, what, what skills do we need to navigate through, through the times that we're living in now? And, uh, I'm looking forward to unpacking, um, this with you today. Just as a precursor, maybe Richard, tell us a little bit of how you got involved in this, you know, this field of thinking and, you know, what, what were the motivating factors that brought you to this place?
3: Um, in the area of, of stress and resilience and performance, it was really, uh, my experiences in professional sports, uh, for, as, as I don't, you, you mentioned in my bio, I have worked with, uh, I've been fortunate enough to learn from and work with, uh, a lot of successful athletes. And, uh, my role in that space, um, has basically been around two decades. Um, so it's, it's something that I, I've really invested a lot of, of my time and, and energy into. And the, the interesting thing about that environment is that there's always this, this looking for and this determination to be best version of self and to really augment potential. And the, this, this specific drive is almost conflicted with the challenges of the environment. One always assumes that professional athletes have this very easy road and this road of of success and admiration and and uh, adoring fans and financial success and and opportunities that are endless and the reality of a professional athlete is nothing like that there 's a few that make it to the top and and have this this incredible life and incredible reality but it it has come with sacrifice and has come with pain and the life of a professional athlete is is really uh, almost overwhelmed with failures and setbacks and financial difficulties and and challenges that we can't even begin to perceive, conceive and and really understand. And it was it was this environment understanding this relationship between the augmentation of potential bringing out the best version of self in these very difficult circumstances and, and under these very difficult conditions it was really the genesis of my my keen interest in this this relationship which ultimately boils down to resilience which is successful adaptation to changing circumstances which is so apt at this point in time as you pointed out and part of this is also being able to stand up after being knocked down and and to Be able to confront disappointments with courage and being able to just really pick yourself up, dust yourself off and get back out there. And I think it's so important in in this time. And I've learned so much from being around these exceptional athletes for for so many decades and, and really... You know, the, today's uh, discussion is really consolidating a lot of their learnings, a lot of uh, scientific um, uh, papers that have come to the fore and, and really putting it into a working model that we can apply to our lives um, basically now.
1: Very interesting. So just in terms of, of resilience, you've, you've given us um, a, a definition. It's basically adaptation to the circumstances that you find, you find, find ourselves in. What supports Improves or drives resilience.
3: So there's a, a lot of factors that overlap. Um, you you have to have a certain degree of physical health. Um, there's support which is important. Uh, a, a character which is adaptable and agile. Um, you have to have a strong set of personal values. You've got to be persistent. You've got to have coping strategies in place. It's got to be emotional regulation. You've got to be optimistic. So there's a, there's a very big set that that really determines our. Resilience potential um, at the end of the debate, end of the day, and those are the defining characteristics. And if one goes back a decade or, or twelve or, or longer, or twelve years or longer, one kind of starts unpacking where this interest in resilience stemmed from. With certainly within an organisational context, and the interest really was the the great recession in two thousand eight, and and how. Through through this economic turbulence and instability, which doesn't even it it pales in comparison compared to where we're holding right now, Um, a lot of organisations were experiencing tremendous stress, a tremendous downturn in productivity uh, and engagement. Uh, There was a high reported incidence of physical pain and and. Uh, mental and emotional health issues, and that was really the genesis of a lot, a, a huge wave of research into understanding what it takes to be resilient, um, and and being able to overcome these ever-changing circumstances and and literally a moving goalpost. Um, so that that really was, uh, I think, a, a turning point where a lot of papers came out and. And a lot of a lot of organisations and, and large companies were really applying some of these principles that had been studied extensively, but with limited success until the real breakthroughs came through. And, and the real breakthroughs were when researchers started studying two extremely resilient groups, um, and the, one of those groups was elite military units, uh, Navy SEALs, uh, Marines, etc., from around the world, and uh, another group was Olympic champions, and that, that was really my sweet spot, my my comfort zone, in that I've, I've worked with many uh, Olympic medal um, holders or, or uh, successful uh, medalists. And uh, the, first, the first part of the story really starts with this understanding the elite military units. And if you look at their circumstances and what they're confronted with on a daily basis, they, they've got volatility, they've got uncertainty, they've got complexity, they've got... A lack of clarity, they've got high physical demands and cognitive overload and sleep and caloric uh, deprivation and if you look at that from the outside, yes, it's more... That
1: sounds like the man in the street today. <laughs> exactly.
3: Exactly. And that's exactly my point. It's like, this is this what is the set that they're confronted with And if you if you explore our lives today, what is different? Nothing is different. Maybe not to the same scale, but the difference is they were exposed to these environments sporadically. We exposed to this on a a lesser degree or to a lesser degree, but on a continuous uh, basis. So what was really interesting was a group of researchers uh, came together from three continents, nine institutions, looking at what creates resilience in these elite military groups. Not every individual member of these groups is resilient and can cope with what I've just described here. Some people thrive and and rise to the occasion, become best version of self and, and others really struggle emotionally and struggle, struggle physically and, and struggle um, on a cognitive level. And these researchers are really looking to unpack what is it. And, they explored all their findings over many decades, and they, they understood that there 's certainly a genetic element and environmental um, elements how you grew up and the the, the actual climate and, and environment that you 're in they identified a physiological basis for resilience or how healthy your mind and body is, and how functional it is, and even your physical fitness um, contributes to resilience and then there 's a gender element that was discovered in this uh in this unpacking of of the best research in the, the military context of space and and what they really kind of came to the conclusion uh where they really came to a conclusion or, or or landed was the fact that there was this assumption historically that our resilience fundamentally is built on a psychological set if we're mentally tough and we've got grit and we've got determination therefore we are resilient and what this this group of researchers found in probably the, the best case study of resilience that we could ever put forward was was that it's our physiology, it's our physical performance that determines our psychological performance. The healthier the soldiers were, or the healthier the individuals were, the more resilient they would be on a psychological level. And it, it really threw them um, you know, threw a curveball at the, the current understanding of resilience. So that that was a really interesting finding because it it empowers that. It gives us the opportunity to really transform our reality because now if we exercise a little bit more frequently, if we eat foods that are are healthy and not destructive in terms of our well-being and take nutritional supplements and create really good environments for ourselves, all of a sudden – the challenges that we're confronted with on an emotional, cognitive, uh, and psychological level, these challenges start to diminish, even though the events are not changing. And it gives us a lot of power. If this is the case, if this resilience, which is so important, is under, underpinned and determined by a physical set, that's something that we can work on. We can work on it right now, and it's, it's a, a great motivation.
1: If you were to give an average person, are we going to break? No problem. Faggy, let's just go for a bit of a break and just hold your question. We're talking to Richard Sutton. If you'd like to join the conversation, it's 34519. Telegram is 061-895-1019.
0: This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adel Kosiltsky and Fagie Stern.
1: Well, welcome back, and we're discussing resilience. Fagie, you had a question for Richard yes thank you and richard what what kind of
2: roadmap would you give to like an average person if they wanted to become more resilient? I know there's many areas obviously that a person would have to work on in their lives in order to become a more resilient person, and if a person actually like almost doesn't believe that they can get there. How do we kind of convince them or explain to them how
3: they can get there? So, so I think what, what we, we, we're trying to answer is something that um, we all have the, the, same, the same challenge and the same question for, and, and that is that how do we cope better right now? It's just the, the set that we're confronted with is so overwhelming. And based on what I've just described and, and this whole kind of unpacking of, of this concept of resilience, uh, successful adaptation emotionally, psychologically, and physically, Um, Where one would want to start um, is certainly in augmenting and promoting physical health. So that would mean exercising at least three times a week for 30 minutes or or slightly longer. And that will give you a tremendous health advantage off the back. It will reduce the risk of developing a chronic disease by 44%. It will extend your life expectancy and quality of life by around seven years. And that's just from a consistency perspective. If you're looking at diet, how, how can we adjust our diet in terms of the bigger elements? It's reducing sugar and reducing coffee and alcohol, um, certainly reducing fried foods and reducing uh, excessive consumption of meat. Just the basics, not nothing too elaborate, just more fruits and vegetables and seeds and legumes and hyperallergenic grains like rice and quinoa. Um, so those are the things that are really going to support you on an overall health level. And we also have the opportunity to explore nutritional supplements. If, if some of us um, are inclined that way, omega-3 fatty acids, uh, B vitamins are, can be very helpful. Multivitamin can be very helpful. Vitamin D is exceptionally beneficial for health. And these are just the fundamentals. And just by approaching this in a, a consistent um, and, and um, on, on an ongoing basis, uh, the this, this simple plan, the simple adjustment – um, you, you'll really be able to cope and contend with the challenges that you're confronted with far more successfully. Um, but this is just one element, and that's that physical piece. Um, there's a whole other dimension that that we have to explore as well.
2: What would that other
3: and element so, be? So, so that other element was when I when I started the narrative, uh, you, it started off on you know, taking a step back. It was that. We've been looking to improve our resilience at least for the last 12 years um, for a number of different reasons because the world is changing so rapidly. Um, a lot of the conventional methodologies are not working, and scientists have been looking to certain groups for inspiration and, and leadership in this regard, and one of those groups was military. And in the military context, the more physically robust and fit and healthy you are, the more resilient you'll be. And it's to the same circumstances that we confronted with now to a, certainly a lesser degree, um, but we on a more consistent basis. But the other group that was explored in, in incredible detail was Olympic champions. And I'm not talking about individuals who held up a bronze medal. I'm talking about individuals who are able to hold up the gold despite their obstacles, despite their challenges. And their challenges are exhausting travel schedules, short careers, disappointments, failures, isolation, loneliness, um, ongoing pain, injuries, constant fatigue. Now, does that sound different to our lives right now? not really uh, it's almost it's almost parallel some of the things that we're going through so we've, we've got the superimposed state the volatility and the fatigue and so we, we can really resonate with what with with what they're going through but obviously to a lesser extent but the difference between athletes and, and the general population is that they're already training and they're exercising and they're fo- following good nutritional plans and nutritional supplements and they outdoors a lot and they have therapies and music and meditation and <clears throat> everything that's perceived to be health-promoting. But only a small set of individuals get onto that podium and hold a gold medal and it's not because they are far more capable and far more talented than others. In many instances, it's not the most talented athlete that wins the gold. So so there was a great paper and it it was a paper looking at 12 olympic champions over many generations not just at one olympic games and looking at what they had in common you know what what was it that they had in common and what they identified was a set of psychological factors the way they perceive their challenges the way they perceive their world the way they kind of into another mindset, another gear when they're confronted with hardships and failures and setbacks and disappointments and loneliness and fears and insecurities and everything that, that we can identify. And what they identified really was fundamentally every single one of these 12 Olympic champions had six very strong psychological characteristics, which I'm going to expound on. But there were two defining behaviors um, that all of them possessed. And the first defining behavior was that every single one of these champions – Every time they got into a situation where there was a setback, a failure, an injury, a disappointment, um, they saw the situation as an opportunity for growth, an opportunity for development, an opportunity for mastery. They actually saw the setback as something that was going to move them, something that was going to push them forward. And a growth
0: mindset.
3: Exactly. Very much so. That's exactly what it is, a growth mindset. And they basically
2: like use their thoughts to create their reality.
3: Exactly, exactly. Um, I mean, that's a pinpoint explanation. And the other thing that was part of that, you know, the growth mindset was one element. And I'll explain why the growth mindset is so powerful um, from a neurochemical perspective in in just a bit. But there was also another piece. And this other piece was an exceptional self-knowledge and self-control that many of us need to still develop. Instead of evaluating the circumstances they were confronted with, saying that why is this happening to me, why why is it happening to me and not that other, you know, my friend or my, my my the community or colleagues, you know why am I singled out and why am I having the failure and the setback and why am I in isolation? Instead of focusing on the situation that has unfolded, which is beyond their control, where they're an object acted on by by external forces that they have no bearing or, or no uh, control over. They evaluated their thoughts, and they evaluated their thoughts basically asking themselves the question, these are the situations, these are the events that I'm confronted with right now. I can't do anything about them, but instead I can evaluate how I'm thinking, I can evaluate how I feel about the situation, and I can evaluate or control how I act in the situation. And what it looks like in a more practical context is being open to new experiences when they're confronted with pressures and, and difficulties, being optimistic despite the fact that you know the, the way ahead looks, looks hard and, and looks low, full of challenges, being innovative, being creative, being able to adopt new ideas and philosophies on the fly. Maintaining a very strong goal orientation. So often when we get um, confronted with setbacks and challenges, we just lose all our goals. We just want to get through that time and they never, they never do that. Um, another really important piece, there's two pieces are linked together is that they're able to self-dialogue. So they get into a situation. They can actually talk themselves off the ledge and, and keep really focusing on, on what, how they're feeling, how they're thinking, how they're behaving as opposed to um, fixating on the external events and And the one thing that we don't do, and I think we're all guilty of this, is they take time to relax. They take time to either meditate or yoga or swim or they have massage or they have reflexology or they have whatever the intervention is. They take time in a day to shut down. And this helps them really recharge. And if you look at these two points collectively, basically what this incredible set of individuals do under difficult situations is – They see the challenges as bringing about meaningful change. That's the first thing I see. And they're they're very proactive and and they act on opportunities. And this is the the springboard into the big psychological factors. And it's it's an incredible lesson. And I've seen it firsthand. It's not something that I've just seen it read in a paper. It's it's something that I've lived and been exposed to. And even it's inculcated itself into my psyche in the way I live my life. So can
1: can I just ask you then? So, sorry, Faggy. Just a quick question over there. I mean, like, as, as you are talking, I kind of like feel that particularly COVID has come to force us to do all of these things, you know, to slow down, to stop, to come into a place of silence, to actually ask the questions, what, where, why, how. Um, you know, I, I know for myself, I've lived a pretty frenetic lifestyle. You know, I'm a, a high oxidizer running. I'm, I'm capable of doing a hundred million things sometimes at the same time. And it, it actually, it was COVID gave the most incredible, um, space to st- stop, slow down and actually reorganize everything. The question though that I have for you is, does this come naturally? I mean, like, is a person expected to start working these things out or for, but by and large, you need to go find a coach or you need to go find somebody who's going to help you to start thinking that way. Cause my sense is that most people don't even want to go there. They don't even want to like start contemplating what, what you're suggesting.
3: So the interesting thing about, about this is it's a combination. Um, you know, if, if we're looking, to, to being more motivated and drive and, and developing our confidence and our self-worth and, and being able to focus and pay more attention, being more connected to people, more adaptable and being able to rationalize emotion, be more optimistic and more, more persistent and elevate our IQ and improve our memory. If we're looking to develop every one of these fundamental traits that determines our reality, especially in difficult times, this is all underpinned by our neurochemistry. This is all underpinned by a set of, of principally, not exclusively, but principally, seven molecules, which each have a very specific contribution to any one or combination of these traits. So some of us are born with these very developed system, and this is where genetics comes into it. Some of us are born with very refined systems. So if, for for example, um, I, I'm quite strong on the dopamine front, uh, where I have this ability to be very – no matter what the circumstances are, I have this ability to be very motivated. I have the ability to be very focused. I have the, the ability to be um, ready, goal-orientated, no matter what's going on around me. And, and, yes, a lot of these athletes will have strengths within these areas which which help them through these these difficult times. But at the same time, no one is without hurdles and weakness within this this specific molecular set. And this is, this is one of the, the biggest gifts that we've been given is the ability to evaluate uh, on a genetic level, um, the relative contribution and the relative stability in these systems, which underpins everything that we want to be, everything that we need to be in difficult times and outside of difficult times. And,
1: so and let's, this is, let's, let's zoom in, let's zoom in on this genetics. I'm completely fascinated. I, I work in the field of genetics. Um, what are the genetic markers or the gen, you know, the genetics that play? Um, into this whole story, and so, is
2: someone able to actually change those genetics if they wanted to? If someone what didn't have the dopamine, could they get the dopamine? If they weren't the, you know, the the go getters, could they become the go getters?
3: Yeah, absolutely, you can. You know, so that's that's the interesting thing about this this whole set, and I think it's it's also a field that that is that is young and, and is still expanding, and we're going to learn so much more in the in the next 5 to 10 years. It's, it's really going to turn everything on its head. But what we're looking at is a set of seven specific molecules. Um, our stress axis are so principally cortisol. We're looking at the molecule norepinephrine. We're looking at serotonin. We're looking at dopamine. We're looking at oxytocin, which is really going to be the theme of, of the second half of today's discussion. We're looking at a molecule called brain-derived neurotrophic factor, And we're looking at a molecule called neuropeptide Y. And together, this set of seven has this profound effect on everything I described earlier, the memory, the IQ, the motivation, the drive, the confidence, the self-worth, the focus, attention, connection, adaptability, the ability to rationalize emotion, persistence, fundamentally um, what determines our resilience, what determines our potential, our success in life is this delicate balance, which is completely modifiable based on the choices we make and the environments we create. So we may have obstacles that have held us back in the past. I'll give an example from my set. So where I'm strong is dopamine. So it helps me with memory. It helps me with learning. It helps me with intellectual agility, focus, memory, motivation, adaptability. It helps me in that area. But where I'm really weak is serotonin on a genetic level sort of, it creates mood and emotional instability and it can affect my planning and decision making. It can also affect my, my speed of adoption of new information. It can affect, um, certain behavioral characteristics, uh, maybe make me more impulsive and, uh, more prone to outbursts. So, so these systems, there's always this play. And over the, the last few years, the fundamentally the responsibility on, on myself in order to be best version of self and, and really be more consistent in everyday life. And I think that's what best version is. It's not to be brilliant every single day of your life. It's to raise the bar on your consistency of ability in any endeavor that you undertake to do. And and I have a weakness in one area. I have a strength in another area. And, yes, I've been able to leverage off the strength for a lot a lot of my life. And the weakness has held me back. But there's so many factors that I can introduce into my my life that can – Modify um, some of the, some of the weaker areas, uh, modify um, serotonin expression and transport, and uptake by some of the receptors. And this could be nutritional supplements which I've taken on. It could be certain exercise behaviors that I'm committed to, a certain dietary approach which I'm committed to. And and it's an incredible set of knowledge in order to basically say that you know if i if i want to explore this i, I talk about best version of self i think that's what we all are seeking to do and the reason why is not to fixate on self and become completely obsessed with personal growth <clears throat> the reason is that we all have a role within society we all have a contribution to society and if we can bring out that best version of self and then contribute to society and our communities we really raise um the, the bar in in many respects on a socio-economic level and on every level um, and I think that's a, a fundamental responsibility that we all have. And it's just such a fascinating space. And, and it's a space that I've really spent a lot of time in. And I've, I've also explored it in athletic circles. Um, and, and it's been incredible to see some of the strengths and some of the weaknesses that exist and how athletes are able to, to circumnavigate that um, just by changing their lifestyle, changing their environments to suit or to remove hurdles and to augment and really leverage off existing strengths.
2: So the best way to do this would be through genetic testing and understanding what you're made of.
3: I think that's the place to start. I mean, genetic testing is great. It it really just uh, it's it's certainly a, a launch point. But one has to understand that because one has genetic variants in a certain area that are associated with inherent weaknesses of that system or potential hurdles within that system doesn't mean it's playing out. It means it's sometimes you can have a genetic variant with absolutely no ramifications or implications. So this is where interpretation is everything. And one also has to understand that there's these very strong relationships that exist between the different genes and molecular systems. And certain strengths in some areas can overshadow and, and compensate for certain weaknesses that exist. So there's a lot of complexity. It's not as uh, cut and dry as... Strong gene, weak gene, outcome. But but certainly first step would be um, genetic panel. And I've actually been working with uh, the analysis um, to develop a panel that is like, very specific to this and basically to help uh, individuals overcome emotional challenges and cognitive challenges, and learning difficulties and so on um, within this molecular space that, I, that I've described and discussed.
2: Absolutely incredible.
1: It is. It's it's just I I I, I myself have gone through genetic testing from a health perspective, and I think that you know I have to agree. Certainly haven't done this one. I'd love I'd love to, you know, to look there as well. But once you do have that information, as you said, it's not something that's stuck in concrete. You know, if you have a uh, you know. A gene that is uh, recessive or dominant or, or doing whatever it's doing, but that information does help you navigate your life and you know do whatever you need to do on the outside to start, start uh, changing. them. we're speaking to Richard Sutton. If you'd like to join the conversation, three four five one nine, and uh, our Telegram number is zero six one eight nine five one zero one nine.
0: This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Edel Kosilski and Fage Stern. Richard, we need to talk about
1: oxytocin. Let's focus just on 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 that uh, that chemical. What does it do in our lives, and how do we get it rooming and doing what it needs to do okay. for us?
3: Sorry. So really it ties in beautifully to that seven, um, seven molecular combination, those molecules I've just described now. And, and it's, it's, I think it's the place to start. And whether you have a gene- genetic polymorphism that uh, limits uh, your oxytocin um, uptake or expression, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. I think that if, if one really focuses on elevating oxytocin from uh, a, a lifestyle perspective, uh, the, the benefits in times like this are indescribable. So just to give you a little bit of background is when we get stressed, um, the fear sensor of the brain um, will be activated. It's called the amygdala, which then sends signals to the hypothalamus, which is the command center, which sends signals to the pituitary gland, which is kind of the... The functional kind of uh, the action uh, or the action arm of, of the brain and it will start releasing different hormones and different compounds and one of the hormones that we're very familiar with is cortisol and cortisol stay in the system for about 80 minutes uh, depending on the individual, some people longer and cortisol in the short term is great, uh, it does amazing things for us but in the long term we, we, we're holding right now, you know, 12, 14, 15 months into this COVID crisis um, cortisol has the ability to reduce brain size, create irritability, depression, low mood, cognitive decline, on anxiety, worry, anger, fear. I mean, I can go on. It's like the yellow pages in terms of how it affects us so emotionally, physically, and cognitively. But the interesting thing about when we get stressed is that we also release this hormone oxytocin. It's actually a stress hormone. Now the, the overall presentation of oxytocin in terms of our psychological states is vastly different it 's about one hundred and eighty degrees um, off centre when, when compared to, uh, with the effects of cortisol because oxytocin, when we release this powerful neurochemical and hormone, it creates a sense of calm, it creates a sense of empathy self belief self esteem we become more connected to people, we trust ourselves, we trust others, we become optimistic. And the most important thing is that we become fearless. Now, this is completely antagonistic to the effects of cortisol, which is uh, distress. It's a lack of self-esteem. It's pessimism. It's distrust. It's fear. It's self-doubt, etc. So it's the most incredible molecule from a behavioral standpoint. The other thing that oxytocin does is it really entrenches itself in our physical well-being. It has anti-inflammatory effects, and a lot of the negative effects of stress are immune-based. Um, It it releases hormones that make us stronger, like growth hormone, and and physically more more robust. It has antioxidant qualities. It releases certain molecules in the brain, like neurotrophins, which helps build and develop our brain and make us more agile and more adaptable and has these incredible physical effects. And this is just the beginning of it. And I really expound in that in my my book, The Stress, Stress Code. But one of the most powerful effects of this molecule is that when we release this molecule, this oxytocin, this neurochemical, this hormone, when we release it, it actually inhibits the fear center of the brain. Basically, what happens is oxytocin shuts off the perception of stress at its, at its core, at its root. And that's how powerful it is. So while I'm discussing this narrative, it seems like there's some sort of inconsistency. Because if we release this hormone on an ongoing basis, why on earth are we feeling emotionally more vulnerable, low mood, depression, irritability, worry, anger. How is it that we're feeling this way when this hormone is also released and it has this incredibly positive set? So the the answer to the question lies in the fact that oxytocin is metabolized very, very quickly. So cortisol will stay in the system for at least 80 minutes, the negative stress hormone that over the long period of time will create a decline in physical health, emotional well-being, and and so on. Oxytocin is... Half-life is around one to six minutes at best. So you're looking at this molecule that can change our reality psychologically, emotionally, and physically is broken down very rapidly, which means that we have to be proactive in creating sustained release or sustained activation of the regions of the brain that are responsible for releasing this hormone. And that's principally what it's meant for, is that when we release oxytocin in response to stress, it's it's a hormone that makes us connect to others. And the more we connect to others and share our experiences and, and really galvanize as part of a community, um, the more oxytocin we release. And there's this is kind of funny underplay in terms of behavior and, and neurochemistry here. But there's three can things we, that we can... Sorry,
1: Kerry, yes. apologies. So just in terms of... Uh, this oxytocin uh, thing, because we've just got a couple of minutes, and I, I'd love to, to like completely zoom in. So, in this with this interplay with cortisol, um, what needs to be done practically to get oxytocin cursing through our veins?
3: Exactly, and that's that's the big question. So here we've got this this hormone that will change our reality, um, mm. in so many different respects. And what can we do? There's three things that we can do, and three interventions that we we can take. The first is on the lifestyle front. Um, If you're supplementing with magnesium and you're taking vitamin C, you will create an increase in oxytocin in response to the supplementation. Uh, When you exercise for 10 minutes or longer, you will release oxytocin. When you listen to calm music that's around 60 beats per minute, relaxing music for 30 minutes or longer, you will release oxytocin. Performing yoga for 12 to 20 minutes or longer releases oxytocin. But the most powerful lifestyle intervention that releases oxytocin is a form of meditation known as loving-kindness meditation. And it's a really interesting form of meditation in that loving-kindness really starts out, it begins, for those who are not familiar with meditation, it starts out by having this, this narrative um, where there's self-care and, and there's self-affirmation. Um, So you you basically say to yourself, "May I be happy? May I be content? May I be healthy? May I sleep well?" And you just repeat this and repeat this, and there's this almost this kindness to self, which which is often not the case in difficult times. We're so intolerant of ourselves, and we're so harsh on 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 ourselves, and and we really our own worst critic. So you start off this form of meditation with this incredible narrative of just kindness to self, and then you divert your attention to someone who's very close to you, a partner, wife, husband, kids. May they be happy, healthy, kind. And you just repeat and repeat and repeat. It's running through your mind. You then extend to someone who's just outside that inner circle. May they be successful and well and healthy and kind. And and that will go on for a couple of minutes, depending on how long you're going to meditate. And then it really takes you into the challenge zone, someone you've got a conflict with, someone that you're really angry with, someone that you're resentful towards, or you have resentment for. And you, you basically wish them well and wish them you know only positive things. And then it expands into more community and more societal, and it's the most powerful journey that you go through. And its, it's greatest attribute lies in the fact that it has this ability to alter our neurochemical profit to the extent that it shuts down fear, It shuts down our stress responses, helps to rebuild our body on a, on a incredible level, an inflammatory and antioxidant um, level, as well as different hormones and, and, and neurochemicals. And then it changes our behavior. We become fearless and we become confident and courageous and we okay with vulnerability. And for me, for me, that's, it's a real game changer in the times that we live in.
1: Absolutely fascinating. uh, Uh, We need to go for a little bit of a break when you get back. Um, my question to you is going to be, is there some type of app or, or, or book or something that teaches us this loving-kindness meditation? We'll be back in a tick.
0: This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You Show with Edel Kosinski and Feige Stern.
1: Okay, Richard. So I want to know a little bit more about the loving uh, kindness meditation. And I believe there's a little bit more to even talk about with oxytocin.
3: That's just almost kind of the introductory um, piece in terms of how to elevate oxytocin and and really just, you know, I want to be as practical as possible. And, you know, how does, how does someone go about putting together a routine that is, that is going to raise and, and augment this, this powerful neurochemical and hormone? So, so really, if you're looking for loving kindness meditation, you can actually go onto YouTube. There's um, so many great um, options there. Some apps that are really good. Calm is is a great app. I use Calm quite regularly personally. Um, I think there's a, a lot of meditation practitioners that you can get in touch with. Uh, it's a matter of just kind of googling in your area. Um, but but I can't I can't begin to describe how powerful. Um, meditation in this context is in these times that we live in and this is something that if you if you i talked about the resilience that exists within um professional athletes and and elite military units and uh, all of them are really engaging in in the nutritional supplements and the the physical um the physical elements and the meditations and the massages and things like that and you can understand why they are resilient why they're able to cope with things that most people can't but if if we're looking to really develop a routine for self, I know we have to unfortunately close up before we really get to some of the, the big points here, which maybe we'll do a follow on. But what we really want how, where we want to position ourselves, so okay, this is how I'm feeling at the moment. This you know, whether I'm feeling uh, worried or down or anxious or, or, or depressed or I have digestive issues, really identify is the stress that you've been experiencing manifesting emotionally, is it manifesting physically, is it manifesting um, on a cognitive or behavioral level? Really, I try and pinpoint that. The next step is to just try and understand what is it that's stressing you? Is it a feeling of a lack of control? Is it a lack of support? Do you not feel valued? Um, do you find that there's injustices in the world? Is it loneliness? What is it that's, that's driving the sense? You, you really have to start understanding self so much better in, in these difficult times, which aren't going to change anytime soon. But now we, we also want to build that routine and saying, that okay, well, I know that I can change my reality. Um, and what I need to do is select one or more of the following. So I, I either need to meditate on a daily basis. Ten minutes is enough. You don't, you don't necessarily need – 12 minutes will change the landscape. Um, or I can do yoga and, again, apps and YouTube and, and there's great instructors. Or on a daily basis, I can put in some relaxing music and just make sure you know, that that's part and parcel. Um I can engage in physical therapies if if you know I feel comfortable I'm going to have whether it's physio or massage or reflex or acupuncture or dry or whatever it is, physical therapies release oxytocin. Or alternatively, I, I could take magnesium and, and vitamin C, magnesium, glyciness, or l 3 are the best magnesiums. Um, but those those are the things that I can do. If you put them all together, you, you've got an incredible routine. And if you space them out over the day, you've got this ongoing release of oxytocin. But as I mentioned, this is really the first step, because this is not the strongest triggers in the release of oxytocin. The strongest releases in oxytocin is our relationships with others, which probably I won't rush into now, but physical contact is a big piece, uh, and in fact huge piece. And this is why this time, especially the lockdowns, was so hard on individuals, because when we don't have eye contact or physical contact um, in any way, shape, or form with other people, um, our oxytocin levels will decline. Um, and it, it creates these feelings that I described earlier of, of fear and uncertainty and low mood and, you know, all the, all the things that, that did surface in these lockdown periods. And a lot of the, the isolation, a the big issue with isolation was on this molecular level. So, so the next step is really to talk about the physical engagement piece and, and how one can go about it and, and what one needs to do. And, there's a set of exceptional factors, which I'm going to leave for another session, exceptional factors in terms of how we behave, how we support others, and how we care, and how empathetic we are, and how compassionate we are, and how charitable we are, that has the biggest and most profound effect on oxytocin and our entire reality. Um, and I think that's worthy of at least uh, uh, 20 minutes uh, as a discussion. Okay, well,
1: that means, Richard, you're going to have to come back. And I've got to tell you, you are my oxytocin for the day because I'm even more motivated <laughs> and ready to Absolutely
2: make- pumped, ready to go. Adel, let's Absolutely. do this.
1: We are going to do this. Uh, Richard, just before we say goodbye, where can people get hold of you, um, you know, just in terms of if they want to touch base with you personally?
3: So you can, get, you can go on to LinkedIn. Um, that's under Richard Sutton. Or you can go on to um, my website, Sutton Health. Um, or you can mail me at um, Richard at Um So if there's any more information that uh, you need and I can help you with, um, with the greatest of pleasure.
1: Brilliant, brilliant. We've had some unbelievable feedback. Excellent show, we are told. We are really, really have been privileged to have you on the show, Richard. Thank you for your expertise and your time. Thank you again, Faggy, always. You're the best organizer in the world. Anybody <laughs> wants an organization, call Fagy. Um, and on that note, we wish everybody a fantastic oxytocin-filled week ahead, and we will be back same time, same place next week with more on how to live a holistic, healthy life.